0: All right, why don't you grab your Bibles, Acts 27. Um, I love it. Acts 27, and actually we are going to do all of Acts 27. This is one of the few chapters in our series that um, we don't chop up into many pieces. In this section, um, I have had to be really careful um, about looking at who this this section of scripture is really about. And you can kind of see why. Um, but I, I want you to listen carefully and get in your head right now. This is not just a travelogue. This is not just a, hey, Paul did this, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. this is, It's not just a retelling of a story. There is something far deeper underneath this. Um, and so uh, I need... Two volunteers before we uh, grace. I'm gonna give you one, and James, are you a pretty good reader, out loud? Yeah. And Grace, too. Okay, Grace, I want you to find in your Bible Psalm 148. 148, Psalm 148. James, okay. Psalm 107, and I'll tell you what verses in a little bit. 148 and 107. All right, here's the word of the Lord. When- Decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of, Ante- of that place, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea <laughs> accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next, next day we put in at Sidian. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to. out to sea from there we sailed under the lee of cyprus because the winds were against us and when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of sicilia and pamphylia we came to myra in Lycia. there the centurion found a ship of alexandria sailing for italy and put us on board we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty at night and as the wind did not allow us to go further we sailed under the lee of crete off Salomon coasting along it with difficulty we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid no attention. Sorry, paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what Paul said. Because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the wind south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained a purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete closer to shore, but soon, a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cada. We managed with difficulty to, to secure the boat's the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing they would run aground at us, they lowered the gear and they were d- driven along. Since, they were, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they drew th- threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurring this loss, this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And I, he said, Do not be afraid. You must stand before Caesar and behold God has granted you all those uh, those who sail with you. So take heart men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took Sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little further, they took a a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that they might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the the stern and prayed for a day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurions and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, You cannot be saved. And the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boats and let it go. As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food. It will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread. And giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. There were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. They hoisted the, the foresail to the wind. They, then they, hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remaining immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest, and the rest on planks or pieces of the ship. So it was that all were brought safely to land. This is. this story in scripture about? 2 Timothy three sixteen says that all of scripture is God breathed and therefore it is profitable for you. It's profitable for me that as we read this we can glean something about what is it that God is about in his redemptive purpose. Who is this God in this storm? Grace I want you to read Psalm 148, verses 7 through 8. 7 and 8. Praise the Lord from, from the earth, you great sea creatures, and all death, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Stormy wind fulfilling his word. Okay, go ahead. James, I want you to read verses 23 through 29. So, so we've got this storm that is going on here. And we've got people involved. And we've got this God that talks, the Psalms talk about how God is in charge of all the wind, the waves. He's in charge of the fire. He's in charge of everything that is going on here. So what is this story really about? Is this story really about, Acts 27, about a man? Is it about the Apostle Paul and his His genius about when to sail and not to sail. About his particular insight about whether or not to run a ship ashore. Man, I really sense that every all 276 people are going to be saved. Is it really about a man or is this story really about Paul's God? The God who is in charge of the wind and the waves. The one who fulfills all scripture. Jesus was the one who who was even the one who walked out onto the stormy sea and he said, peace, be still. And instantly what happened? The winds and the waves obeyed. If you've ever been on any kind of small vessel in the midst of a storm, you could probably identify with this. The only time that I can, I can say I can minutely identify with this is when Laura and I got married. We went to Cancun on our on our anniversary or our, our honeymoon and it was there after two or three days Laura said, you know what, you need to go uh, deep sea fishing by yourself. <laughs> she left without me. She she said, Paul, I know that you you love would love to do this. I have no desire whatsoever to go deep sea fishing. So she sent me on my own. Well, being Midwesterners, we did not figure into this whole equation that there was a storm a week before. And going deep sea fishing is not like going out on the pond on a small boat. The wind and the waves, my stomach was not ready for. And by the end of this whole trip, Small children and adults were clinging to the side, not for their safety, but because their stomach could hold nothing else. So I can, I can kind of understand this, but this was a long journey being stuck on a ship where they could not for day and night see the stars nor the sun. It was a complete storm. Here we have Luke was accompanying Paul with. Aristarchus, and it was a difficult journey. We got to wonder why here does Paul Luke go into such detail about the this event? At first glance, it doesn't even seem to really fit into anything. Why why? is he just kind of? I don't have anything else to write, so I'm just kind of give you a travel log. Part of Luke's reasons may be because the, the details. Revealed just how harrowing this experience was. And against the human helplessness of this frightening adventure stands the sovereign hand of God. The sovereign hand of God who promised Paul that he was going to testify before Caesar. It's easy to just see Paul and Paul's activity, but underneath this all and over the top of everything, you see God's Hand guiding, protecting this whole passage. And since an angel repeats a promise in the midst of this storm, Luke's main purpose here is to show that God's purposes can never be thwarted. They can never be screwed up. Never, even by the powerful forces of nature. God's purposes can never be messed up. They can never be sidetracked. No matter how deep your problems are, no matter what the forces of nature are going on around us, no matter what the circumstances in your life, God's purposes can never be thwarted. And I think that's something that we've got to get into our head. I don't care what your circumstances are. God is far more powerful. And he is the one who will sustain you Luke also just shows that Paul had calm leadership in the midst of this crisis and it was because of his calm leadership that 276 people on board board were, were saved from death and ultimately his testimony carried more weight because of his leadership so this story is not about Paul. This story is ultimately about God. Even if you've never been in a storm at sea, you have been and you will be in many storms in your life. Hear that. Even if you've never been in the Adriatic Sea, being driven to the to uh, the shore, being caught on a reef, you've never been caught there, and you're never, you've ne- none of us are going to testify before Caesar. Most of you will never, I hope, never testify before a grand jury determining whether you are guilty to die. You will face a storm in your life. And in some of these storms, here's the reality, you may even despair of your life itself. even as some on board here did. So Paul's experience here is just this. If we will trust in God's sovereign care of your life in, in the midst of these life storms, he will use you to bear witness before men. If you will entrust your life to God's sovereign care in the midst of the storms of your life, Who who is the main character here? Still God. If you will trust his sovereign care in the midst of these storms, he will use you. So I want you to hear these three lessons. First, God is sovereign over all the storms of life. What does it mean to be sovereign? God is in control, totally in control of everything. I believe in what's called micro-sovereignty. God is in control of every snowflake that you see falling out there. God knows exactly where it's going to fall because he's going to place it where it's going to fall. God is in control of everything. The, the biblical doctrine of God's sovereignty over all things is one of the most practical truths for us to apply in times of trial one of the most practical truths there are those who teach that god is not that it's not god's will when some kind of tragedy in life happens i've heard a pastor say at a funeral that a person's death was not part of god's plan and maybe you've even heard that maybe you've even said that Man, this isn't God's will that so and so dies, or that this happens. Man, and I think saying that 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 pastor or you are just really trying to make God look good and try to even comfort somebody who's grieving, but the reality it does neither. If it wasn't God's plan, then God is at the mercy of some higher power. Or God is blind, or God is helpless. And it's a terrible, <laughs> blasphemous thing to say about God. And it is hardly gives comfort to a grieving person to think that somehow that God was momentarily overpowered or blind just when our loved one needed it the most. It's far more comforting to believe what the Bible teaches, that God is absolutely sovereign over everything that takes place, even over the most tragic events in history. God is in control. So when things are out of our control, how many of you have ever experienced things where you just go, I, this is totally out of my control. I cannot control this situation. No one? Oh, few of you. Good. The rest of you are liars. When things are out of your control, they are never out of God's control. Never. No matter how humanly impossible the situation is when things are out of control they are never out of god's control the ship was out of control it was at the mercy of this terrible fearsome storm and the power of the wind and the waves of this storm were awesome because what was it doing it was breaking up the ship these were these were blue collared sailors who have been traveling the sea they were weathered. They, they knew how the storms were. They knew how the, the ship worked. They knew how the rigging worked. They knew how much they could carry, how much they had to get, get off. This storm was crazy. Even in a modern day Coast Guard vessel, you could quickly, very quickly realize that your control over a situation is minimal. You are at the mercy of the storm. They did everything. These soldiers or these sailors did everything they did to keep the ship from breaking apart. And beyond that, there was nothing else that they could do. They had no compass. They had no instrument. They couldn't see the sun. They couldn't see the stars. They were lost in the middle of this Mediterranean Sea. They were fearful that they might drift some 350 miles south off their course. So what did they do? They jettisoned all of their cargo even the ship's non-essential tackle. But after doing all they could do, they were still not in control. But the beauty here is God was in control. He always is in control. The storm did not take God by surprise in any way. He wasn't in heaven in this panic-stricken mode, summoning up all the angels saying, oh my gosh, guys, I miss this one. I need you to go down there, and I need you to take care of this. None of it was out of his control. God caused this boat to drift 476 miles from the small island of Cotta to Malta. Just another speck in this sea. And although these soldiers and these sailors were not in control, God was in control. And when things in our lives are out of control, absolutely out of control, they are never out of God's control. When your marriage feels like it is careening towards the shore and it's going to be an utter disaster. Your job is heading in this direction and it's going to be a total mess. Your finances are heading towards this direction. You feel like this addiction is just taking over your whole world and you are out of control. The answer is you're right. The beautiful thing is that God is never out of control. Trust in the promises of his word. We also need to learn that we aren't necessarily outside of God's will when we get caught in a storm. Sometimes when we find ourselves in the midst of a sudden storm in life, we begin to wonder, huh, am I outside of God's will? How many of you have done that? You're all of a sudden going, man, how did I get myself in here? Maybe I'm being unfaithful. Maybe maybe I, I screwed this up. Maybe I didn't hear the situation right. Maybe I didn't hear God right. Maybe in my prayer life I heard something that I thought I shouldn't have heard. Or maybe it's the devil leading, you know, pulling me over here. When we are in these storms, we are not necessarily outside of God's will. We may be, though, especially if we got into the storm because of the sin in our lives. Okay? But we may be exactly where God wants us to be. The Lord had told Paul that he would testify for him in Rome, but he had not bothered to mention anything about this minor shipwreck. In another storm example, in in Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14 reports that immediately after Jesus got done feeding 5,000 people, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. This word made in the Greek means to compel by force or persuasion. And it shows that the disciples didn't have much to say about where they were going and what they would be doing. The following verses show that Jesus was deliberately sending them into a storm at sea. Doesn't feel very pastoral, does it? Doesn't feel very loving. But Jesus was intentionally sending his disciples out into the storm at sea, and he knew that that storm was going to be coming. But he wanted to teach him, teach them, that his power over storms is immense that he was even not only able to still a storm, he was able to walk on water in the midst of a storm. So even though they were in a fierce storm, they were precisely in the will of God for them at that moment. The point is that God's will for his children sometimes includes storms. sometimes is that he sends you into storms. That you, you are in the midst you are in the eye of the storm and everything looks like it is nuts. But here's something to also remember. We aren't ever out of God's care when we get caught in a storm. Even though these soldiers didn't know where they were and they had no control over the situation, God knew exactly where they were. He had a laser like focus on every 276 passengers. He knew exactly where they were. They never went off his radar screen, and he cared for all of them, even for those that did not even know that he existed. He cared for them, and he spared all their lives. Of course, he, he cared especially for those children of his on board, Paul and Luke and Aristarchus. Here's the reality. If my kids were on board a ship or a plane, and I, care about, and I would care about everybody else on, that, on that, that vehicle, but I would especially care the two kids of mine. Particularly, right? And if you are God's child through faith in Christ, you can be assured that he cares for you in every storm. And he is going to carry you through. Paul combines God's sovereignty and his care when he tells us to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. And then he adds this. Casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. This whole week, I, I, I've had this song. It's, it was probably written in the 1970s, which really dates me really badly. But there's a song. Um, cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And any time I don't know what to do, I will cast all my cares upon you. And that's a song that I need to hear because it's coming from scripture. You know what? It's the storm is hitting me and it's scary and I am out of control. But in the midst of this storm I need to cast all my cares all my anxieties on him. So God's sovereignty over everything that happens is a source of great comfort for believers in the storms of life. But God's sovereignty never God's control never negates our responsibility. To conclude that Since God is sovereign, whatever will be, will be. And thus to kick back and do nothing is not biblical. Well, it's going to happen anyway. Well, that kind of sucks. We'll just kind of bear with it. Whatever will be, will be. That's not biblical either. So the second lesson that we have to learn is our responsibility in the storms of life is to trust openly in God's care for us. Trust openly in God's care. And we can, when we trust, to trust openly in God's care is not opposed to using prudence and common sense. Paul was a man of great faith, and he specifically testifies that he believes in God in this trial. So we can assume that he was trusting God in verse 10 when he advised the men in charge to not continue with this trip. Because it was late in the season. The fast that they were talking about here is the Day of Atonement. And that's getting late in the season. And so that just means that the storms are going to be rough. So we need not assume that Paul had a revelation from God warning him about a storm What was he doing? He was just using common sense. This only makes sense, guys. Look at your nautical journals. You know, you're sailors. This doesn't make sense. Why would you sail when there's going to be storms? Part of it is Paul is learning from his own experience because he had been shipwrecked three times. He's going, I've been there. I've done that. I don't want to do it again. Boys, common sense. But the pilot and the the ship owner, <coughs> hard-headed man, maybe driven by a little bit of cash, didn't like to stay in the, that fair haven, decided that they were going to go. So much for an expert opinion. the point is that there's nothing wrong with Paul using good judgment and common sense. God's sovereignty and common sense are not opposed to each other. Often we get into our own storms. We create our own storms, don't we? Because we lack common sense, we lack self control. So we all of a sudden find ourselves in this storm again. We go, How did I get here? Everybody around you is going, duh. (laughs) You got there because you were hanging around with this person again. You took advice from this person again. You put yourself into this situation again. You're not avoiding this thing. You're going back to that sweet sin that, oh, entices you time and time and time and time again. You're not in the word of God. You're not doing this. Cut it out. Sometimes it's our own stupidity that gets us back into those storms. Sometimes people imply that trusting God necessarily means casting reason into the wind and doing something absurd too. And sometimes the Lord does expect us to do something by faith that those in the world would say, that is just absolutely crazy. But we better be sure that the Lord is behind such crazy movements, or we end up looking awfully stupid in the world's eyes. Trusting God and using your brain are not necessarily opposed to one another. We can also learn to to trust openly in God's care, means that we will be different in the storm than those who do not know God. We will be different in the midst of the storm, than those who don't know God. Paul stands out above all others in this story, in this desperate situation, because of his calm faith in God. It seems that for a while, even Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus lost hope and were fearful, because Luke states, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Well, that's the final thread, boys. It's been nice knowing you. All hope is abandoned. They had lost it. And the, but the angel's words to Paul said, Do not be afraid, Paul. And it implies that Paul was scared to death. After all, Paul was human. And even when we are overwhelmed by a catastrophe of this magnitude, even the strongest believers among us can momentarily falter. But the angel reminded Paul of God's promise earlier that he will bear witness. God's promise. Paul, you are going to stand before Caesar and testify. You will. So Paul did what? He rested in God's promise. Paul, Paul even gave words of encouragement to this, his small congregation of two hundred and seventy six. And said, listen, I want you to eat. Here's the words that I received from from the angel. And I've been reassured of this. You need to eat. You haven't eaten in 14 days. Time to eat. Time to get some strength again. And on top of that, what did he do? He didn't just hand out bread real quick like and say, come on, eat up. Got to get your strength. What did he do? He openly thanked God for the food before they ate. Unashamedly showing these soldiers and these sailors and fellow prisoners is open trust in God. And if we want to stand out in a time of trial from those who do not know the Lord, then we have got to have a daily walk with God, a daily seeking after God before the trial hits. You know the phrase. When it hits the fan, that's often when we run to God again, right? Man, it it is hitting the fan, and it is just going all over the place. And now is the time that I get back down on my knees, that I open my Bible, that I run back to church, that I find these people who have always supported me because it's all hitting the fan now. Here, the reality is we need to have a daily Solid walk with God and his people before the trial hits. Proverbs 1, is, it gives this picture of wisdom personified. In other words, words wisdom becomes like a person. And it, wisdom warns us that if we refuse to seek her, seek wisdom during normal times, she will laugh at us when our dread comes like a storm. And when distress and anguish come upon us. But if we daily seek God and his wisdom during normal times. When a storm hits we will be different than those in the world. Because we know and trust our God. How is your you walk? Really. How is your walk? Or are you just holding on for the next time that it's going to hit the fan reach out to God again and say, oh, I've got to get serious again. Because this storm is too much for me. To openly, to trust openly in God's care also means that we will bear verbal witness as God gives us opportunity. When, Paul, when God encouraged Paul through the angel's promise, Paul didn't just keep it to himself. He didn't just go, oh, that's a good mental check. Oh, good, my God. remember that. You keep on, keep on working. Come on. Right. I about did the Dory thing there, Donna. Keep on swimming, keep on. You know, kind of, hey. just keep swimming. Oh, my gracious. It's not praise and worship yet, okay? That's what you were saying. That's <laughs> what I saying. It's not one of those, okay, mental check. I, I, I just keep on working hard. What, what did he do? He used the situation to tell about this God that he is openly trusting in. And he told them about the promise and the promises of God. And when he encouraged them all to eat, Paul could have thought, man, these these are pagan men. Why ask God's blessing on the food in front of these these guys? They're they're just a bunch of of guys who are going to not listen to it anyway. But rather, he openly thanked God. I can imagine it. The storm, he's, he's kind of getting his bearing, you know, on this deck as it's, it's being tossed to and fro. And the wind is going. And there, you know, soldiers and sailors are throwing stuff overboard. and It's that last ditch. All hope is abandoned. And Paul is taking this bread and saying, God of heaven, for this bread we thank you. May it nourish us for this last little bit of our journey, and thank you in advance for taking us all safely to shore. It would have looked crazy, wouldn't it? But Paul stood and openly gave thanks to God in the presence of all the people. In times of trial, people are especially open to spiritual things. Is is it true? When, when there's divorce, when there's addiction, when there, there's pain, when there's financial bankruptcy, when there's all these things, job loss, all these things, suddenly people are really open to, to the things of God. And they're watching you as maybe even you are going through that exact same thing. And you're going, hang on to Jesus. Hang on to him. He will hold you. He will carry you through. And they're going, Yes, I am. But hold on to Jesus. He will take you through. We should not hesitate to be bold to tell people about the true and living God and the eternal life that he offers through his son, Jesus Christ. The last thing. The last lesson is God will use our trusting him in the storm to bear witness to many. As long as, as, long as men can devise human ways of, of coping with the storm apart from God, they'll do it. These soldiers had heard Paul's testimony that God would deliver them, but they were, they were going to use their own ingenuity to save them. But God only has one way of salvation which is Jesus Christ he won't let people save themselves in their own ways or add anything to the way that he has provided because Paul trusted God and he bore witness of God's promise of deliverance the other 275 passengers on that ship heard about God they heard about God no doubt in the days and the winter months that were spent on this island malta paul was able to give them the gospel more fully and more clearly than he did on board of this on board of the ship during the storm one man who trusts god in the storm of life can have a major impact on others one man One woman. Will you be that one man or that one woman who trusts fully in God, in the storms and outside of the storms so that you can have an opportunity to bear witness to God's faithfulness, to God's way of salvation? Will you today, tomorrow, next week, next month, whenever your storm hits, will you be that one? It was late in 1735. I love these again, these missionary sh- stories. A ship made its way from to the New World from England and on board this ship was a young Anglican minister. Anybody know their Anglicans from 1735? <laughs> John Wesley. John Wesley, who had been invited to serve as a pastor to the British colonists in Savannah, Georgia. A storm hit And the ship found itself in terrible trouble. Wesley, who was a chaplain of the vessel, feared for his life. But then he noticed that a group of German Moravians, it was a a German group of another religious group, were on their way to preach to American Indians. And they were not (laughs) afraid at all. In fact, throughout the storm, what did they do? They sang calmly. And when the trip ended, he asked the Moravian leader about his serenity and the Moravian responded with a question, did he, Wesley, have faith in Christ? And Wesley said he did, but he later reflected, I fear they were vain words. Wesley's experience in Georgia was a total failure, both personally and ministry-wise, a bear Wesley returned back to England, and after speaking with another Moravian, Peter Bowler, Wesley concluded that he was lacking saving faith. And in May 24, 1738, some three years later, he had an experience that changed everything. He described this, this event in his journal. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street, where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter to nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Wondering what's happening? I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation An assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. God used those Moravians, trusting him during the storm at sea, to bring about the conversion of the great evangelist, John Wesley. If you're going through a storm, he wants you to trust him. And I'm not just talking about, you know, I watch some of you going, oh, it's starting to blow and snowing again. I'm not talking about just that kind of a storm, even though it is that storm. I want you to remember, he is completely sovereign over every storm in your life. And if you trust him openly, openly, Lord, here's my heart. Take it all. Take my life. Let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to me. Take my moments and my days. Moments and days. And let them flow with ceaseless, in ceaseless praise. If you open him trustfully, uh, trust him openly, he will use you to bear witness to many who need to know the Savior. And that Savior is the only one who can deliver us from the storm of God's wrath. The great storm that is sure to come. We're going to take communion in a minute. Before you start packing up and start thinking about the next thing and I want you to take a moment. And I want you to really ask the question. Like Wesley, do I have saving faith? Or am I, am I just pulling myself up each time the storm hits from my own bootstraps and just trying to make it work from the next storm to the next storm, and I'm doing it, I'm doing it, Am I just running to Christ when it's hitting the fan? Am I running to church when it hits the fan? Or am I deeply trusting in the one who is sovereign over all my storms and he will carry me through? Do you trust in that God? That God who has authority over the wind and the seas, the fire, the seasons, the snowflakes, Everything. Do you trust in that God who alone is able to save you? If not, today is the day to respond. Respond yes to Jesus, Lord. You, you are sovereign, and I need to respond to you. I have been acting as God, and I have been failing miserably daily. I need you. For those of you who who do have saving faith, are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in Him? Are you clinging to your works, your righteousness, your holiness, or are you clinging to Christ in the good and the bad, for better, for worse, the richer and the poor, clinging to him and him alone? If you have said yes to Jesus and you are clinging to him, You might not be successful all the time, but you're clinging to him. This table is open. It's a nourishment. When we say yes to Jesus, he says, ah, I'm present, and I desire to feed you with the good word of the gospel. I am filling you again for this moment, and I will promise you that I will sustain you through every storm of life that's who I am. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are God and I am not. I thank you that you have given us scripture to lead us and guide us and point us to you. God, I pray that uh, as we have read about Paul and his trusting, open trust in your sovereign care and his his ability to testify again to his soul care and his physical care. Lord, as we've heard that, Lord, may it be true of us. May we be a people, a church, a family, individuals who are being built up daily into Christ trusting him more fully in every which way in our in our relational life in our work life in our financial life in our sexual life in our desires in every way may they all become more conformed and may we become more conformed to the image of Christ so Lord as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper Convict us of sin and strengthen us by power of the Spirit to live more fully. Thank you for storms, God, and all that they have to teach us about you. We pray this in Jesus' name.